Hello, and welcome to SPS Talk, a podcast by and for the leaders of the Children's Hospital Solutions for Patient Safety Network. My name is Trey Coffey, and I'm the Associate Clinical Director of SPS. Before we begin today, I want to make sure that you have the save the date for our fall national learning session. It'll take place on September 18th to 20th in Houston, Texas. Today, I have the pleasure to introduce Dr. Amrit Gill from Cleveland Clinic Children's. Amrit is the patient safety officer for Cleveland Clinic Children's, where she works with the quality and safety team towards the goal of eliminating all preventable harm. She's also a pediatric hospitalist serving as the medical director for the Department of Pediatric Hospital Medicine. Amrit is also regional champion for the SPS Ohio region. The title of our podcast today is The Safety Journey, Leaders Building and Sustaining Momentum. Welcome, Amrit. Thank you, Trey. I'll start by telling you something very interesting I learned about a couple of bird species. At the start of the 20th century, milk was delivered to doorsteps in Britain in bottles that had no tops. So these birds had easy access to fat-rich cream that settled at the top of the bottle. Now birds are lactose intolerant, I didn't know that, and milk will actually cause birds to have diarrhea. The cream, however, has very little lactose in it and is full of energy. So this is what the birds were after. Two species of British garden birds learned to siphon up the cream from the tops of the open bottles, the blue tits and the robins. Then after the First World War, dairies began to fill the bottles with aluminum bottle tops to keep the milk fresh, and potentially this new food source could have been jeopardized and cut off from the bird supply. However, by the 1950s, the entire UK blue tit population had learned how to pierce the bottle tops to reach the cream whereas the robins never did. Occasionally, an individual robin learned how to pierce the milk bottle seal, but the silk still never spread to the whole population as it did with blue tits. Blue tits as a species had gone through an extraordinary learning process. Although individual robins could be as innovative as blue tits, did not pass on what they had learned to the other robins. The difference between the two birds could not be attributed to their ability to communicate. Blue tits and robins communicate in similar ways through color, behavior, movement, and song. The difference could only be explained in the way blue tits pass on their skills from one individual bird to the species as a whole. When bringing up their chicks, blue tits will live together as couples. Once the young blue tits are flying and feeding by themselves, blue tits will move about in flocks of up to 10 birds. The flocks remain intact and will stay together for two to three months. Robins, however, they're super territorial birds. A male robin won't allow another male to enter his territory, and when threatened, will ward off another robin. Their communication is aggressive and they have fixed boundaries that are not to be crossed. Blue tits had learned to peck these milk bottle tops by copying each other, whereas young robins had very little opportunity to learn the skill. The birds that flock together appear to learn faster and increase their chances to evolve and survive. The habits of blue tits are certainly thought-provoking as we strive towards functioning as a team of teens. I wonder, do we openly share our experiences with others? Do we seek input from others to help come up with solutions? Are we open to building on others' ideas? Do we facilitate a learning culture within our teens? My personal foray into patient safety started in 2007 
when my brother, a vivacious 37-year-old, high-performance race car driver, passed away suddenly of what may have been a PE. At the time, I was tormented by the thought that there may have been a delay in his diagnosis and care, which led to the devastating outcome. Naively, I promised myself at the time that I would never let this happen to any patient of mine. As I've evolved, I realized that patient safety is not the job of an, one person or one team, but hinges on the culture of an entire organization. We really need to incorporate, incorporate those behaviors of the blue tits. We've come such a long way as a collaborative to drive down harm in our hospitals, but with all the competing priorities in this high-stress, busy environment, I constantly ask myself, how can we push ourselves further on this journey and keep the momentum going? I believe as leaders, to keep the momentum going, we need to be present and engaged, be visible and supportive, eliminate hurdles, help make connections, create opportunities, and help people find meaning in what they do. Truly inspire the desire to aspire. Safety is always a priority and integral to what we do every day, and we need to celebrate successes, even the small ones, to keep this momentum going. For example, when our NICU or PICU has a period with no clapsy for, say, 60 or 90 days, we celebrate with cake and pizza, and food always goes a long way in keeping that momentum going. When our residents work on an increased identification of situational awareness patients by 50% with their QI project, we recognize them with an award for patient safety. We conduct safety rounds in all our units weekly, so we go to different units every week. It's a time and an opportunity for our quality and safety leaders to talk freely with the bedside caregivers, the patients and their family members about their safety concerns, as well as share their successes, what's going on with their units. We huddle around their visual management board to talk about what the barriers are and how, what we can do to help remove them or how they've had success with a particularly challenging pro problem and how they want to share it with another unit. This not only helps promote sensitivity to operations for us, but it also encourages them to bring up issues that we can help with. The key for us, though, is closing the loop. So talking about how we're working on resolving the issues from the past safety rounds, what they brought up the last time, and assigning owners to new problems. It shows them that we're working on these issues and encourages them to continue to raise concerns when we have them. When there are challenges and setbacks, we need to make that a learning opportunity and share the lessons learned to be able to promote resilience and create synergy and positive change. There is immense power in storytelling. We had a very cute little eight-year-old who died in our hospital while under our care due to medical mistakes. This was 10 years ago. We invited that mom to speak at our state of safety. That's an event we have twice a year where we look back at the past safety um, stuff that's been going on and look into the future, where are we going with our safety initiatives. She came to speak to the entire children's hospital. She shared her very powerful story and spoke about how proud she was to see all the work that has happened since then to prevent similar harm in the future. There was really not a dry eye in the room. This is our story. And even though it was from 10 years ago, it motivated and re-energized everyone listening to continue to work towards making us safer. A clear vision for achieving our goals will guide us along a path of generating a future we deserve to have. I cannot stress the importance of having a shared mental model with our teams of where we are going and what the plan is to get there. 
the key is understanding that safety is a dynamic non-event and it is all the little things that we do that build inertia and keep the momentum going. I'll end with a quote by one of my favorite authors, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, which says, a goal without a plan is just a wish. So let us set some goals and make some plans and together keep our patients safe. 